0: Hi, everyone. It's Jen Nguyen here. Welcome to this episode of The High Note, Healing Inspirations from Life, where today we talk to Felipe Teoes about healing, grief, and walking El Camino de Santiago pilgrimage. Felipe is one of my dearest friends in life. He even flew out from Los Angeles to New York to record with me in person. Felipe's career has been in film and television here in the U.S. and internationally, and he is someone who loves different cultures. You can read Felipe's full bio in the show notes. And I'll just say, this conversation with Felipe is rich with storytelling. You'll hear stories about walking for five weeks straight through Spain, retreats with Buddhist monks, and finally allowing oneself to mourn the loss of a loved one years later. Felipe's storytelling took me on his travels and his ups and downs with him. So this conversation is cross-cultural, real, and vulnerable. Let's get started. Hi, I'm so excited for today's guest. I'll let you introduce yourself.
1: My name is Felipe Tewis. I am first and foremost a dear friend of and someone who loves her very much, And um, I would describe myself as someone who loves storytellers and storytelling, and also as someone who loves working and getting to understand other cultures and working with people from different cultures. So I've sort of dedicated my professional track to that, and it's something I'm also really passionate about in my spare time. Mm. And I'm very happy to be here.
0: Mm. Likewise. I find myself seeking joy these days. And I want to know what's a joyful memory for you. And it could be past, like long ago, childhood. It could be recent. Mm. But I want a smile to, you know, spread across your face. What's a joyful memory?
1: It's interesting. As of late, the small joys that you mention are something that I've drawn a lot of my attention to. And uh, it's interesting because I, I will get to talk about it more, but I recently um, participated in this Camino in northern Spain where I walked basically across the country of Spain. And there were a lot of those small joys because in on the Camino, things get reduced to a very simple existence.
0: Because you are just walking all day long?
1: You're walking all day long and you basically have two things to decide each day, which is how far do I want to go and where am I going to get food? (laughs) By the way, you're not in the wilderness. It's like, is it in this town or in that town? Right? I need to go to the supermarket. (laughs) But it's like, how do I feed myself and how to transport myself? And a lot of the other types of decisions we make every day are stripped away. There's a lot of space and a lot of focus that goes to small things. And when you mentioned the small joy, I immediately thought about this interaction I had I was in a, a very small albergue, which are essentially the, the housings that you get to stay in across the walk. And there were really only four of us there. And it was in an abandoned, well, not, not abandoned anymore, but sort of a renovated train station, this beautiful oh, wow. middle of nowhere. No train ever goes through the railing, maybe one a day. <laughs> but they had turned it into this really beautiful albergue and it was run by um, a couple and there were four guests. And I wind up having dinner with two of the guests, a couple from Catalonia, from Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And it took them a little while to warm up. And we wind up having a very beautiful conversation, as happens often on the Camino. It's it's about, why are you here? What did you experience today? Really things that are very present and, and very meaningful to the people that are on the Camino. And at some point, I see her nudge her husband basically nod to him saying he's 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 made the cut somehow. <laughs> and I see him run off to the room and he came back with this something very simple, this little plastic yellow arrow. And the yellow arrow is what marks the Camino throughout the entire path.
0: Oh wow. It's on rocks or on the road or
1: it will be or Any which surface they can find. <laughs> so usually the it depends on the region, but essentially there'll be maybe like a cement um, kind of little formation and they will be like a nice version of the yellow Camino. Sometimes it's like a, sea, a yellow seashell that basically wow. is in the shape of an arrow. Oftentimes it will be a spray painted yellow arrow. <laughs> but essentially wherever you may get lost, oh. somebody has put a yellow arrow saying, it's this way. So when you walk the Camino, you might see that, I don't know, a thousand times. So that arrow becomes very, like you, you can spot it from far mm-hmm. away and it becomes a big part of the experience. And they had brought a little bag full of little yellow arrows because they had walked it before and they're walking it again as as a gift to give to people along the way. And it was something so simple, right? I mean, completely inexpensive, like a little plastic thing that in everyday life, I would kind of dismiss as as useless. <laughs> exactly the kind of thing I don't like to have. And there was something so beautiful about that gesture that they had brought. They were carrying these, you know... In their bag in a very precious space and this idea of this, the, this small gesture from somebody that you had uh, just a very kind of temporary connection with mm-hmm. and to this day I remember them because of that gesture that had thought put into it and this kind of desire that they brought on the Camino with them to bring a little bit of joy to people that they would encounter. And that stayed with me. And I have it in my closet, right, where I get dressed, so essentially, like, sort of, you know, it's symbolic to sort of like, it's this way, <laughs> <laughs> this way out of the closet. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> and keep uh, going.
1: Yes, that is exactly right.
0: And the community <laughs> is with you.
1: Mm-hmm. It's you, a collective walk for sure.
0: You are not alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is there a oneness to it? I don't yeah, want I don't want to yeah. put words into your mouth. What, there what
1: is in the feel? sense that it feels like a parallel journey that you're making with others that is often I would say for me the majority of the time was really quite independent. But you would see in a very just visually you would see another walker of the Camino maybe 2 kilometers ahead of you and they're they're there. You might never meet that person, but you have this feeling of there are others here that are also doing this path to interrogate things in their life, that are looking to have that presence, that simplicity of everyday experience, that are here for a reason that might be different from your own, but you share that you are there for a reason. And you share that you're on this journey for, in my case, five weeks, Mm -hmm. right? So there's something very powerful about this independent collective. And uh, for example, you're, you're alone, but you're never lonely you feel that presence of others and even uh the places where you stay you may be eating by yourself or you may choose to talk to somebody but you don't feel alone because there are others there as well who might be eating on their own too you know
0: is it like this is my journey to be more of whom of who i want to be it's mine so in that sense it might seem solitary but it's i'm not alone i'm journeying In community with others, even if my journey is my own.
1: Yeah. And and you're on the journey, I think, to figure out what journey more broadly you want to go on. I have this image of being in in one of these hostels and, you know, bringing out my diary Mm -hmm. to write the thoughts of the day and looking up and they were, they were only people in that common space or four different people writing into their diaries. <laughs> part of me is like, this is a cliche. The other part of me is like, how cool. Yeah. All these people here are on that wavelength. And there's something very powerful about that shared wavelength. And imagine just even the power of four people doing that, in, that level of introspection in the same space. That alone.
0: Makes it more reflective. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you, and you lean into it as opposed to feel self-conscious, which could happen. And people <laughs> are there in a similar, on a similar journey.
0: Yes. Does it heighten your curiosity? You said well, you, you lean into it. So does your reflection become more curious? Does, what, what did I your reflection you feel, become?
1: I think you feel less self-conscious about it. That's mm. how I would phrase it. There's something about this unabashed um, desire of introspection in that space that, that really makes it feel like the norm. When I came back from the Camino and I also, we'll we'll talk about it a bit, did a a retreat in a Buddhist monastery and someone reached out to me and I said, oh, I'm I'm currently on this retreat. When I get back to the real world, like, you know, and I, I paused and I thought. Maybe that's the real world. <laughs> and this is the one filled with a lot of us kind of playing a part and telling ourselves, filling a lot of space with, with stories and characters. And maybe the one, the world where we are just very present on a walk or very present in meditation and feeling really the, the earth, really like a nature and just being incredibly tuned into. Much more of of a sensorial experience that may be quote the real world.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. If I can touch it, see it, smell it, yeah. as opposed to these stories and roles that we invent for ourselves, yeah. In the in the lives we create,
1: yes. In the busy mind, it, it was interesting. Even that instinct of like that's the real world. The other one is the fake world. It's a parenthesis,
0: <laughs>
1: and really, that what's inside that parenthesis, I think, is actually. As true, if not more, than anything else that we experience.
0: Wow, what a perspective shift! And it sounds like a joyful perspective shift—not necessarily an easy one, but a joyful one when done in community.
1: Absolutely, and in a place of of great beauty, there's there's great joy in beauty. And the
0: beauty of the walk of, of the Camino. walk,
1: yeah. So I I did a route that's called the Camino del Norte, which goes along the coast. Some of the most stunning landscapes in spain if not the world and um and i even w- found myself wondering if it felt so particularly beautiful because i was walking by foot every flower every detail that you might miss as you drive by and that and i found myself wondering what places have i been that might be that i would consider this beautiful but maybe i didn't get to see them at a human scale maybe you saw maybe i saw them kind of more from from a wide lens. And here, because you're walking, you do see every little detail, every little touch of whimsy in the house decoration. You encounter an incredible amount of animals, actually. Hmm. Safe. Safe safe animals. (laughs) donkeys. I was
0: like, I don't know if this New Yorker can do animals. What are you saying?
1: (laughs) No, horses, donkeys, sheep, and, you know, and usually in, in farms, but they're pretty present. You see this donkey just you know, waiting for you because they <laughs> heard you coming. And, the, and that company of, of the animals I found really soothing. You know, mm. touching on the question of, earlier of, of, the, of that experience of not feeling alone. You really feel the company almost throughout the entire walk of five weeks. There was always some animal around or nearby. And I, and I, I was really taken by that. There was a memory I have of the first day, which is basically you're starting at the French border. You start before sunrise, right? Wow. So you start walking at night. Like, like
0: 5 a.m., 4 a.m.?
1: Yeah, that day, I think I started around 5 a.m. because I knew it was going to be a long day. And it's one of the tougher days on the Camino that you hear about. So you kind of wow. want to go in with enough time. And at the beginning, basically, you're going to, you're aiming for San Sebastian, which is the first big city that you reached that first day. And you basically climb straight up. Mm. <laughs> the first, really, the first couple of hours are like a climb. <laughs> and, and you really have a, you ask yourself a lot of questions so why am I here <laughs> was this a good idea etc <laughs> and you and I finally got to the top and I remember it was really there was a lot of fog and it was the wildest experience of like you get to the top huffing and puffing there's not a human for miles and there were about I don't know 10-15 horses just there loose they belong to somebody and they're kind of with it contained to some degree you know, they could hear me coming and they were waiting for me to reach the top of the hill. <laughs> and they've seen it before because it's part of the route. And they were there with this kind of breeze blowing their their beautiful mane. Like there was something completely like otherworldly about it. And it was a moment of true just catharsis of like, wow, this is... And especially as the first day, I was like, how fast I felt this kind of reduction to... or or not reduction, it's amplification into something so essential, like nature, beauty, physical effort. Like there was just something so raw about Mm -hmm. it. And and that moment really stayed with me. I think about it often.
0: Wow. It stayed with you because of how quickly you dropped into the present?
1: Mm -hmm. Then the peace that came out of being so present and the, and the kind of the beauty of its simplicity, you know, the horses had their baby horses with them. And you saw that dynamic so clearly. Like, there was just something so um, pure mm. about that moment. And really, um, I don't know, It's 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 it was stripped away from everything else. And in that context, it's, it, when I think about that moment, it, it brings me to that place and that, that peaceful feeling.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm struck by how... With a busy mind, that level of peace can feel so far away. And yet your story suggests that it's right there on the other side. Like Mm -hmm. it's so within reach. Thank you for that. Wow. Okay. So that's day one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How many days? How many months were you on this?
1: Well, it was was about five weeks. So you walk um, 920 kilometers. And so... I guess in miles is about 20, 25 miles a day, I believe. Wow. And um, with all of your belongings on your back. All of your belongings <laughs> is less than you'd think because you, you're not camping. And you okay. pack, I packed very light, which was a great idea. And you essentially have a couple of changes of clothes and water and so on. But yes, you have a backpack on and you are climbing a lot actually. So mm. it can be physically demanding. However, I was blown away by just the body's ability, you know, within, within the limitations of health and age and so on to, to adapt and to create it as the new norm mm-hmm. somehow. After the first week, definitely I was in all kinds of pain.
0: Yeah. In my head, I'm like, work, 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 work. <laughs> this sounds cooling. Like grueling.
1: And at the end of the first week I arrived in Bilbao and I remember I went, because you, know, you passed through some cities, I went and I got a massage and it was like, <laughs> I was made of stone. But, but I remember thinking I'm gonna have to drag myself into Santiago, which is the final stop. Like, like I thought, if this is after week one, I, it's really gonna be a screech to the finish line. And I had the, I remember walking to Santiago, like I could keep walking, and in fact, I did. What I added to the walk, which a lot of people do, you you can keep walking to the ocean, to the quote end of the world, the Finisterre, and the the fact that the body and at like that adapted. point
0: you're in a different country no, when you is decide all to all continue. In Spain.
1: Okay. Yeah. So essentially you're walking from the French border to the Atlantic you know, and okay. you, cross, you cross Spain. So Portugal is just south of where you end up touching the ocean and, um, and your body gets used to it. It's kind of incredible. And it, it made me really wonder what else could I do with my body that, I, that I'm <laughs> normally too lazy to do. Um, but there's something really freeing about that of, of wow, there's really the power of adaptation and that you can probably channel that into many different directions, but that with time and space, you can adapt to things that that seem unthinkable.
0: And how powerful if we choose that adaptation mm-hmm. rather than have it just happen as a result of survival yes. or, or in yeah. reaction to something.
1: And I think it can go in many ways, right? So you could quote, adapt to something that you don't want to adapt to. Not to label things as good or bad because it's more complex, but... Things that become normalized that maybe you didn't want to become normalized mm-hmm. for you, and um, and that the choice of that and the fact that there is a possibility to drive that in the direction that is desirable for you, I think that was a takeaway for me out of the walk.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm going to take us back because you said <laughs> that you extended your trip and thought, "What else can I do?" And I'm thinking, "Why did you do this <laughs> in the first place?" So. Can you share the moment when you realized either that you wanted to do the Camino specifically mm. or that you wanted to heal more generally?
1: Well, I would talk about two different moments. Mm-hmm. What's interesting for me is the decision to make the Camino it was very organic and it, it kind of came from the gut. And I think it was only doing the Camino that I understood why I wanted to do it in the first place. Wow. I knew I. I had always kind of earmarked it as something that seemed really beautiful and interesting, but the clarity with which, when I had uh, a lot of time available, I booked a plane ticket and went. So I ended up leaving a corporate job, and I essentially had no questions about it. I just simply went, and then it really, with enough space and introspection, then I can kind of take us back to an earlier moment. You know, one specific memory I have, um, and I'll I'll share a little bit of personal history, which is that. My father was diagnosed with ALS, which is really, you know, kind of horrible disease. And, you know, three years later, he he passed away and it was, it was quite a journey for all of us as a family. And um, there was a moment that was, I think it was the, the one year anniversary of my father's death and my partner, Alice, and I were sitting in the dining room, you know, and it, you know, we were talking about it it came up and I remember he started crying and he had gotten to know my dad over the years, you know, but I had this almost out of body experience of being at the dining table, seeing him crying, me stopping, putting down my fork and knife and getting up from my chair and walking around to comfort him. And not to say that it's not like a painful memory for him, but I remember thinking, you're not crying. And that, and that moment stayed with me of, okay, I don't want to put judgment on it. I think there can be some kind of guilt that one can, can feel around not feeling enough, Mm -hmm. but it stayed with me of, I think that's something I want to work on, or that might be something I want to work on. And I think that was the beginning of the journey that wound up with really making space. Once I stepped away from a corporate job to to start to try to reach that soft spot is how Pema Chodron talks about it. I really like that visualization. Like there's a soft spot in you, um, that vulnerability that it was, I, I had realized over the years wasn't as readily accessible to me because of, um, I think just my, my own life experiences, my, my own kind of way of, of navigating challenging situations that was sort of armor up. And you grin and bear it and you, mm. and, you, and you get through very tough situations that way it can be very effective
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when your uh, industry or you know the people around you operate in a different way, and yeah. you offer this calm
1: yeah, it's that calm it's I'd always gotten positive reinforcement about how level-headed and calm I'm perceived to be I like anything in life, it also has kind of a flip side of a coin, which is kind of, quote, managing, to not say suppressing, (laughs) (laughs) emotions. And again, it can be, it's a habit or a skill set, maybe, that gets positively reinforced a lot, I think, in, in corporate environments or when you're dealing with really challenging personal issues like illness. Or, you know, there was in that period where my dad was sick, around those five years, I think something like six different family members between grandparents and kind of other kind of unexpected deaths there was a lot of, of, of mortality, of facing mortality and illness in my life. And again, that, that skill set of really just kind of barreling through is positively reinforced. It got us through it. It got us through a lot of really difficult times as a family. And I think in, in the workplace, it worked. Mm-hmm. But I think on some level, I felt this desire to try to reach that soft spot. And the why for me, I I think as I thought about it, I think you want to feel the full spectrum of the human experience. And at least for myself, I felt without finding a way to even occasionally tap into that soft spot, I might be denying myself part of that spectrum of the human experience. And I want to feel the full spectrum. And I would say since then, it's become a bit of my goal that 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 might be a constant practice right it might not be something that you achieve and reach but rather an effort but the effort in itself i think is part of that right like the part
0: of that fullness that richness yeah part of the spectrum of life
1: and i think there's something vulnerable about trying to embrace vulnerability and so even the process i I love how um in terms of of meditation and buddhist practice is always called a practice it's not something you achieve. I went on this meditation retreat at Deer Park Monastery, which is a monastery in the school of Thich Han. Hanh. And, um, you know, I remember at one point towards the end of the week, you basically start meditating at five 30 in the morning. You, you kind of join the schedule of the monks. Wow. Who live there. And um, they don't play. No, <laughs> they're <laughs> up early and they're meditating at five 30 in the morning and essentially, the, the whole day has a series of activities like mindful eating and mindful walking and more meditation. I remember another participant at the retreat saying, Do you think after this week we'll, we'll be changed? Do you believe in that? And my thought was, it's frankly not to reduce it to something too pragmatic, but it's, it's a bit to me of you have a week with a great trainer and you leave and you're like, wow, I can run faster than I used to. I can lift more. But if you stop lifting weights and you stop running, you know, you're not going to continue to get the benefits of that knowledge and that more kind of concentrated training and, and working with somebody who's so um gifted at what they do because they put in a lot of time. You know, those monks have put in a lot of time to meditate. <laughs> They've dedicated, in fact, their lives to 10,000
0: hours, Malcolm Gladwell, check. <laughs> yes.
1: And you, you get, you kind of, you're lifted up by that. You really, you benefit from their experience, but then it's a practice that is on you. To take part in or not, if you choose not to. And it's not this destination. You would meet people at the retreat and the introductions who, who say, Oh, yeah, I've been coming here to the monastery for 17 years. Wow. And you're kind of like, and you're still coming, huh? <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> How many times have I got to do this? Because
1: <laughs> part of you is like, maybe this doesn't work. But then you do see that it it's becomes, a practice. It's the path that they're on. Mm. And that is a part to continue to reinforce that journey Mm. that they're on that that mindfulness journey but there community in community and that's a big part of the buddhist practice actually which i was not aware of i'm I'm just learning about all these uh, all these concepts that it's called the sangha which essentially is community
0: yes yes
1: when i went back to la i started to participate in a weekly gap basically joining other people to meditate
0: yeah
1: and uh and Thich Nhat Hanh would talk about that, that was, in fact, to him, the most important element of the practice. And your sangha could be just you and your partner. You know, it could be a very small group. But the idea that there's a collective practice to be more present, mm-hmm. to relieve yourself of suffering, and to help others do it as well, you know, that that healing from suffering is a collective act is actually pretty baked into Buddhism, which I, I was not aware of. Right? Because one has this idea of meditation as a very kind of solitary, inward-facing act. I personally had to come to a realization that it, it might be quite the opposite, actually. It's like you are rebuilding, you're kind of healing yourself to go out into your community and help rebuild and help others heal themselves. And, and if anyone who's ever sat and talked to a Buddhist monk, they're the most connected. Nobody will listen to you better than a Buddhist monk. <laughs> 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 so maybe you, Jen. <laughs> it's really the degree of connection that they have it's Mm. so pure it's so deep and it's because of all the work they have done on themselves that when they show up for others they show up in full presence Mm. and they really um they they bring that light in that Mm. way of of showing up for interactions
0: wow (laughs) this is so so rich i'll say something about the last part you said and then i want to go back and honor several of the things you named um, I've heard a phrase in the past, hurt people, hurt to people. Mm. If I'm hurting, I am going to pass on that hurt if I'm mm-hmm. unconsciously choosing something else. right? So hurt people, hurt people. I've recently thought healing people heal people. If I am in the act of or the practice of healing myself, I am going to bring that light, that curiosity, loving, seeking. Yes. Um, to others and the quality of the space that I hold for them, the quality of my listening, the quality of our connection and with which part of them I connect in Mm -hmm. our connection is going to be healing. Yes. It's going to bring each one of us closer to a more whole version of ourselves. Less Mm. fragmented, a less broken, a less disconnected, a less
1: bruised version. And I I love the way you mentioned making space for others, because to me, that's at the heart of it. And it's really difficult or painful to make space for someone. You have to be fully present. And it's very difficult to
0: put your baggage aside.
1: That's right. (laughs) Or have unpacked some of that baggage Mm. so that you can be present for someone else. Mm. You know, the reality is when most, it's not that nobody, doesn't want to listen to others. It's just really, you have, you have the, what what Thich Nhat Hanh calls like the mind radio is on mm-hmm. because you have all these things that are nudging at you. And it's not because you don't care about the person in front of you. Sometimes it's like, it. but most of the time. <laughs> well, it's, <mostly> not.
0: Not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really, it's too scary to sit and turn off that mind radio because if you can truly listen to them, you can truly listen to things that you may not have been listening from yourself. And that that silence. I remember um at the retreat, there's a there's a tradition in Buddhism which is called Dharma sharing. And this is a big part of the practice. In fact, at the Sangha, you do it every single week. And it's very interesting because it's a circle. Um, where everyone's sitting kind of cross-legged, and people kind of bow into the circle and they share something. But here's where it's different from the normal world. And normally for me, I would want the monk to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Or somebody else. Somebody.
0: Somebody there
1: to help me. (laughs) Give me some tips. Tell me where I might be looking at things the wrong way. And for there to be a conversation. And actually, Dharma Circle is is about placing that thought into the circle. And it's about everybody in that circle, which can be a big circle, by the way. It could be like 30, 40 people. To deeply listen to it. Sit with it in silence. You know, and there's this notion that silence is beautiful as well and that isn't to be avoided. And and really, the goal is for that person to feel truly heard. And then somebody else goes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> What?
1: <laughs> and this is so interesting because, you know, your first instincts are like, Well, like, how useful is that? But you see, because people keep, they come back to the dumber circle, it is working for them. And actually, Maybe on some level, that solution they're seeking is really, they hold it. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to come from anyone else. And they need to be able to verbalize it. And especially, I think it's that feeling of really being heard by others who are there in a very kind of kind, thoughtful headspace. And it's that energy of like really being received without judgment. And that's so liberating for people.
0: And generative. Yes. It almost sounds like it amplifies the healer within all of us, mm-hmm. right? Like we cut our finger, it will bleed, sure, but then it'll start to close up and form new, new skin and heal itself. Mm-hmm. Like there are self-healing tendencies within us already, and it almost sounds like that circle, is it the Dharma circle? Yeah,
1: the Dharma sharing
0: is called. The yeah. Dharma sharing, thank you. Invites those self-healing tendencies to present themselves. In the
1: biggest, fullest way. Yes. Possible. And and when people, participants in that circle, have really put in the work, because it is work to heal themselves, you feel the energy of it. Because you mm-hmm. can see that they can people share some really tough things they're going through. Mm-hmm. And you can see other you can see people like myself who are, you know, baby practitioners. <laughs> You're know, like, Wow, that's a lot and then you see people like um at the dharma sharing i was in at deer park there is um a buddhist nun her name is sister d dangniem and she wrote a book called flowers in the dark she happened to be in our dharma circle woman the big group split up wow and she was just somebody who was operating on another wavelength right just and at the end they they asked her if she would share some thoughts and she's really just she she just brought buckets of light, mm. <laughs> like everybody in that circle kind of lifted up and you, and you think, wow, this this person is just like full of life. Like, oh, she's so wonderful. Right. And then you go out and you buy her book <laughs> and you read about her life journey. And it's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful book. And it's essentially about the practice of mindfulness as a way to overcome trauma. And it really Blows your mind like that was a person in that circle, and that's why she can show up that way because she has really put in the work via mindfulness to work on her own trauma, and that's given her the ability to truly really listen to yours mm-hmm. and to not be weighed down by it, but to rather lift you up and, um, and that you feel it. I'm telling you, everybody that walked out of circle was like, Wow, her energy is just, you know amazing, and, and it actually makes you wonder in real life sometimes you meet people that are just like they're operating on a whole other wavelength, and I think at some level, you assume like. They've had it easier. I don't know. Like They're just people who are kind of fluttering about life. And it's like, no, they might have actually dug themselves out of the mud through a lot of work. And that's why they're able to show up that way, because they've really healed themselves. And therefore, they can be there for you differently.
0: And what to me is so inspiring about that is that you don't have to be born with these healing skills or... Special powers, essentially, <laughs> but instead you can learn these healing yes. skills, and through the practice—whether it's the practice of mindfulness, or the practice of reflection, or mm. the practice of faith—I heard a practicing mm-hmm. of faith with one another. Um, mm-hmm. in what you shared, whatever those practices are—gratitude practice, so on and so forth—you can actually build muscles of repair within you that start with you but extend outward beyond you.
1: Yes. And I loved this expression, which was trust the ripening of your own process. Because to your point, whether it's faith, mindfulness, it it will likely be a long journey, maybe an infinite one. (laughs) Right. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I mean, like it will always be a journey. It'll be a path that you're walking on that will always get better, but it's a path to continue. And trusting that that's ripening at the pace that is right for you and that you don't have to kind of Reach. In fact, there's a, there's kind of a notion in the Buddhist practice, when you've reached breakthroughs about yourself, that they're, they're sacred and that you can hold them to yourself too. You don't have to share everything with others, that it can be something that, that you kind of protect and value for yourself. And I really, I appreciate that idea that it can happen at, at the pace that is right for you.
0: Oh, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I want to go back and honor some of the things you shared earlier on when you were sharing what were the moments that you realized you wanted to heal. I obviously have known you for a very long time. And so my heart has been with you. I mean since we were 18 years old basically. <laughs> but my heart was really big and beating hard for you during your dad's illness. Um and especially when Luis passed on August 4th, I'll never forget the date. And I first want to honor him and his strength and his resilience, wow, some of the things that he was able to go through and yet show up for you all still as a dad, still as a spouse, still as a family member were really moving to me on the outside. And I know I had the benefit of perspective, but I also had a lot of distance. I was physically far away and still felt it through what you shared. I just want to honor that specialness. Thank you.
1: Yeah, he was, I mean, my whole family was incredibly strong through that process because it is really, it's everyone is really directly impacted by it. And my brother was there living with him, helping take care of him, my mother. But, you know, looking back, I also think of the moments where, because it is just a force, a majeure situation, the moments that it that it actually manifested as vulnerability in from my dad, which was not something that came naturally to him, but, mm-hmm. but something like this, will bring it out of you and And those moments, actually, the moments that he might have seen as, as him kind of cracking or something, were actually some of the most powerful ones because it showed that that was something in his register, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it, it kind of made us connect with him in a way that I'm not sure without that illness. I love if my children has an expression which is who is to say what is good and what is bad? And it's very tempting to call something as as really challenging as ALS as just bad, no good in it. And without question, it it's just something I would never wish on anybody. Yet I can say with certainty that I was more connected to my father by the end of his life than I was before he was sick. You know, out of something really tough came something beautiful as well, which is how the family came together. And you know, and I think we take pride in strength. And you know, I remember when I found out my dad had ALS, which is kind of funny, actually. I was in Uruguay where he is uh, from and my mom's sister, so my other aunt who lives there, and she was cooking and she was like, I just don't believe that your father has a class. And I was like, huh? What? <laughs> like, and I, and she's like, I just, I just like that doctor is crazy. I don't think we stop. And <laughs> meanwhile, I pull up my phone, I like, google ALS and I you know,
0: like, what are you saying? And then she, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard
1: this. Exactly. Yeah. I, I ALS and like, well, I was like, you know, cause you read the Wikipedia and, and honestly it's oh, down God. to a T like they're like, the person has three to five years to live. And like, that is what happened. And of course my mom, my mom was like, well, you knew, you just don't remember. Cause she did. She felt so bad. <laughs> she was like, I just, I, you obviously knew already. And I was like, no, I would remember, remember something like this. <laughs> but I remember I was in Uruguay visiting my grandmother who essentially was dying. And I remember going to sit with. Um, Were you in Montevideo? I was in Montevideo, mm-hmm. and okay. you know when when you have somebody very elderly, essentially you sit with them as they are. And in this case, she was in her in her bed at home, and she had a person there, a caretaker, who was was helping. And I remember. As I touched on in this conversation, I'm not someone who cries very easily, but you know, just my body, I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying for like two days because I really, I don't know, you, you read it in black and white and you're like, okay, this is, this is what's coming. Like we are in that movie, movies they are like, we are about to be in that movie. And I couldn't stop crying. And I remember actually the caretaker was like, oh, it's okay, but what it seems like your, your, aunt, your grandmother had a full life. I was like,
0: I'm not even crying about her. <laughs> <laughs> that was the portal. Yeah. To something
1: else. I was like, I'm also sad about her. But, and, you know, it's just one of the situations I was like. I remember I called my mom and she could hear that I was crying. And I, and I know she meant this in the absolute best way. And she basically said, we can't have none of that. <laughs> you need to be strong. We have to get through this. And my mother, if you met her, I mean, she's a she's very, a sweetheart, but she's made of
0: strong stuff. Yes, like she, she is. really is a survivor. So and they, many of us can relate to that. I can relate to being told to suck it up to survive, mm-hmm. watching my parents and relatives suck it up to survive, and then believing and acting out survival.
1: Yes, and it comes. From a good place, because the reality is, it did get us through. And obviously, she learned that from people that she loves that, that taught that to her as well. And I remember, I d- I did not cry again. And you know, this was some pretty rock and roll a few years until we were like sitting in front of my dad's body before he was getting cremated. Like that's when again, it's like a forced major moment where you're. you're it's just like a natural at that point. But that stayed with me because I thought, wow, like
0: that's not norm <laughs> you know, that's a, yeah. maybe 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 yeah. <laughs> it might be the norm that we get taught to compartmentalize and do other survival tactics yeah. to get through it
1: but it's sort of at what price
0: yes
1: you know like it's it's that the accessing of that soft spot and this is for example I think part of why i am in the career that i am which is working on TV series and film because it, sometimes for me, it's easier to step into the emotion of a character in a movie. And I love watching a really weepy, sad movie. I have no trouble crying in a weepy, anyway. <laughs> And there's something really powerful, I think, about storytelling in that mm-hmm. sense because it allows you to step into the, the shoes of others who are maybe living experiences that you yourself in real life aren't
0: allowing yourself
1: to experience a certain way. But there's a safety in experiencing them through a character.
0: For, for two hours. For two hours. There's an end. There's an over. end yes. in sight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And I think that I remember watching the film. There's a film called Still Alice. It's about Alzheimer's. Yes. It's a very powerful movie with Julianne Moore. I made a mistake of watching it on a plane after you know a glass of Sauvignon Blanc or something. But
0: when i say I was still on a plane.
1: Like face into pillow kind of Baby, <laughs> public space.
0: I watched that movie on a plane too and sobbed and snotted my like yeah. all the stuff in my nose came out.
1: But it's power I mean I, I feel gratitude towards the filmmakers because I do think there's something very powerful about helping people feel emotions through their story that they're that they're looking for an outlet for I think because of their own experiences
0: yes and what it creates space for and access to I watched that movie years before I became a long-distance caregiver for a family mm-hmm. member who has Alzheimer's and I don't think I would have understood anyone's emotions mine or any other family members or the family member nearly as well as I do understand it and I'm still trying to understand it had I not seen that movie so yeah I completely get what you mean about the access to parts of the spectrum of emotion of life and access to understanding Mm -hmm. life that can be made possible through stories yes
1: empathy Mm mm-hmm It's interesting to me that we can really feel the experience, deeply listen to a character somehow, yet in the real world, sometimes it's too hard or maybe too scary.
0: And how do we grow our practice, our empathy practice, so Mm -hmm. that we can do a little more of it, a little more of it, a little more of it, even when it's hard?
1: Yes. And also, I I love this metaphor that they shared at the retreat about a guitar string, because I think it's about, at least for myself, the end of the retreat, you really feel like I'm doing great. (laughs) <laughs> then you think but this is here in this mm-hmm. very specific place you're not on your phone you're everyone you know it's like the place is beautiful the birds are tripping like, it's a very specific context and then you think well how do i that not
0: everyone has access to and is exactly, able to,
1: to have the time to have the resources to be there even know about this place and you think well how do i bring some of this back to day-to-day life and at least for myself i i feel it has to do with a bit of equilibrium about bringing what you can, but not feeling that you're going to be able to, to do it all because mm-hmm. a monastic path is a monastic path for for a reason. And the metaphor is that they shared with a guitar string that it has to be kind of tight enough to make music. But if your practice if feels too tight, <laughs> the string will snap. And if it's too loose, it doesn't create a beautiful sound. So it's it's also, and, you know, they share sort of being forgiving and generous with yourself maybe sometimes actually taking time away from these efforts and this practice and the faith or whatever it is that you're doing to heal that will allow you to come back oxygenated to be able to kind of continue you know the power of that that pause that break is, is is important i think at least for myself
0: yeah so i'm curious are there other key moments when you experienced healing on this particular journey
1: there's something it was very interesting one day. I just arrived at a hostel and there was um a guy, Alberto from Italy and 72 years old doing this walk. Wow. And he was like, you know, I just don't understand. Today I just started crying. <laughs> and it was really because I thought about him and a few days later.
0: I had the same thing. What were you thinking in that moment when you start crying?
1: I think it was almost this image of peeling back layers and then you kind of peel back a layer in your brain, yourself, your emotions, and, and and you kind of perceive thoughts and emotions that maybe you had kind of ignored for a while. And then what's interesting with any kind of prolonged experience like this is no distraction ever comes. You continue the introspection. So then you peel back another layer and then you peel back another layer. And that there's really, I think a level of kind of mining into, into thoughts and emotions that you had kind of normalized them being there, not recognized. I don't think it's that you don't know they're there. I think it's that you allow them to be there in the corner, untouched, and you see them every day in the corner until finally you stop even noticing they're there in the corner, but you know at some level they're there. And I think on on a long, prolonged introspection like this, you have no choice but to go look in that corner. Like you've been in that room too long. <laughs> you ran out of other things to look at. <laughs> in fact, my children, uh, she has an image that I love, which is, mindfulness meditation it's like if you have a pond so that's very kind of mucky with with dirt that's like kind of clouded mm-hmm. the meditation allows everything to settle in your mind it allows all the dirt to kind of fall to the floor and that means then you can see what is in that pond and that kind of clarity the clarity is a path to to that kind of deep looking as as, as Thich Nhat Hanh calls it And I think that that is exactly what happens on something like a camino, which is that the dust settles, and then you see, you experience. Even if you can't fully verbal, you experience emotions. Like I think I did part of my mourning of my father's passing from five years before, five years later. So it's it's like emotions will bubble to the surface, and I think you're just so you're, you're you're digging deeper, and you're very present because also the experience itself pulls you into the present because you are in a beautiful place, you you smell flowers, you smell farmland, like there's a very sensorial experience to it. So you're very present, you're very tuned into your thoughts. And as as we were talking about earlier, all of this kind of decision-making that normally demands a lot of your brain is stripped away. So all that on the scientific level, all that energy that's normally pumped to the brain to help you decide whether you're going to answer that email or not. And how you're going to get to answer it nicely, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. You know, daily occurrences in corporate life or any kind of, of 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 work, all that energy can be rerouted into some other type of brain activity. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the science around this long introspection. You know, from the little bit that I that I've read about, your brain's not being drained by all these other things it has to do. Mm-hmm. So it its power can go towards sort of the presence the introspection like where you want to channel it into and uh, and, I, and i think that's that's why alberto and i were crying <laughs> <laughs> incidentally is my second name <laughs> really yes
0: i didn't know that yes you were one with the 72 year old italian man and with yourself <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> through that very human sensation of what does it feel like When the things I've put aside come to the surface based on what you've experienced thus far, what is healing to you?
1: Healing to me is forward movement with kindness and vulnerability. And even if it's a millimeter, I think it's about that forward movement. And I think it has to be defined by that kindness with yourself, Sister D, who I mentioned a couple of times, in her morning meditation, her mantra is, good morning, I love you. (laughs) It sounds so silly, but to me, that is healing.
0: I love it.
1: To me, that is healing. If you really can feel that, and every day you're going to make a little progress informed by that that kind of kindness with yourself, I think that that to me is healing.
0: That is so good. I'm going to have to borrow that.
1: <laughs> I've done it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: to meditate, it works. Good Puts morning. a smile on your face.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm smiling, thinking about saying it to myself.
1: <laughs> Part of it's like I feel silly, but then it's like, is it silliness or is it also a really nice thought or a combination of both? Something that really struck me one has an idea of, of Buddhist monks as very stoic. And there's a time and place for everything. That, of course, at the five thirty meditation, people are you know tuned in. And when I tell you when that giant bell rings, like you are going to meditate, <laughs> it's really like and like it reverberates through the whole body. And they're a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a the joyfulness, not to normal, but meaning everyone's personality. If they are a person that has a sense of humor and happen to be a monk, they shine. And like that personality really shines through because it's not burdened by the mind radio and all these things. So like they really will enjoy activities that, like, that normally one wouldn't enjoy, like cooking or cleaning or kind of hanging out with each other. It's singing, like the a, like a actual playing guitar or something mm-hmm. like that. Like there's actually one day a week at the monasteries, they have a lazy day. Oh, It's called that. It's called that. the lazy day. <laughs> and in fact, it used to be called rest day. Sorry, no, uh, they suggested calling a rest day and take that home. I was like, no, 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 no. it's Lazy Day. It's, <laughs> it, like we want it to feel playful. Like oh, even the name is playful. Yeah. Because rest is implied in, med- in all meditation and the monastic mm. life. There's like a, a disciplined rest in it. Mm. It's not easy. Lazy Day is you can do whatever you want. <laughs> in fact, if you want to stay in bed all day, that's a beautiful way to spend your day. Wow. And some people will spend the whole morning in bed. There's no kind of looking down on it. Because if you are feeling great in that bed, you are being very present. Mm-hmm. You are being very mindful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you're doing. as long as you're feeling like, like fully there. And I thought that was so surprising to me, right? Because you think about discipline, you think about the stoic nature, and there's many, many ways to be mindful, including, quote, being lazy. <laughs> I love that. And I, and then that power of that kind of rest get kind of yourself a break like that was very interesting to me um, from that experience i had at the monastery
0: yeah i think i've come to learn that my workaholism which is one of my survival tactics is the exact opposite of play mm-hmm. and that my freedom will include play mm-hmm <laughs> And so I definitely hear that in the lazy day. There is a freedom and a liberation.
1: Yeah, and presence. And like presence. it made me think of dancing. Right. You know, we're we both come from Latin American culture, and yes. when people are salsa dancing, they're not thinking about anything else but nope. that music and yes. that moment. And I think there's it's actually an incredibly powerful tool. I think for so many cultures, where that is part of regular life
0: yes dance
1: is a dance yes yeah Yeah. especially dance that's collective that includes you know well i guess most dance collective but there's something really
0: partner work because it's got the presence it's got the connection
1: yeah Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know i've been talking a lot about this this particular experience i had at a Buddhist monastery but it's made me realize those same properties and other things like a uh, religion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Christianity, going to church, prayer. And and you know, I'm personally of which not.
0: Buddhism is one, right? It is a faith system.
1: Yes, but but Thich Nhat Han would always talk about how Buddhism you could be Christian and Buddhist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's really a practice that you can it can make you a better Christian if mm-hmm. that is what you want. But it necessarily doesn't like replace another religion.
0: Or does not have to.
1: It does not have to, exactly. But it made me realize the, the kind of value in a lot of things that i wasn't looking that way
0: mm-hmm.
1: like the power of, of, of prayer prayer in a way is very mm-hmm. mindful mm-hmm. right and i'm personally not somebody who, who who participates in who has like a christian belief system but i can see the power of the people who do mm-hmm. because i think it, it it has a lot of the same properties i think in terms of connection being present being there for others and, and yes. also in, in other activities like uh, dance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see that in the power of prayer for mm-hmm. myself. And I also see it in the power of dance for myself. Mm. I love that. Yeah. It seems that once you've been awakened to what this deep presence can feel like and the joy and liberation that it can invite, mm. you start to see opportunities for it. In all parts of life. Yes.
1: And I think you become more cognizant of when it's particularly hard. And I think uh, the phone is one. Mm-hmm. I can tell you I really, I'm not the worst phone but I really struggle with that because it's like you could not have conceived a better tool to make you less present and mindful mm-hmm. than putting the universe on a screen on your phone. It's really, it's so powerful. It's so powerful with kids.
0: Oh, yes, you know, yeah, so you're finding good. ways to continue the practice, even when the busy mind and the noise of the world creep mm-hmm. back in. yes, I love that. Go you <laughs> Where do you see your healing journey leading you next, and what do you wish for yourself when it comes to that healing journey?
1: I think, in terms of what I want next is to to embrace the idea that kind of perfect is the enemy of good right, and, and, and to have kindness with yourself and find ways to, to bring some of these practices or learnings into life in a way that feels organic and doesn't feel like you're, you know, making an effort, right? And whether that be morning meditation or, you know, Pema Children talks about just take three breaths. If you can do that a couple times a day, that's already powerful and not that hard really like you've got time for three breaths
0: you're gonna be breathing anyway
1: yeah (laughs) and so I'm trying to like what I hope for myself is is for it to be normalized in the best sense of the word to try to to bring for these things to feel less like oh I have to make an effort but rather like finding ways to be living out these ideas in a way that feels organic and sustainable to be honest Mm. because I, I think something that I've become very aware of is it's it's a lifelong practice mm-hmm. to try to be more mindful, to try to be more present, to try to feel your soft spot. Whatever it is you're aiming for, it's, it's just going to be, it's the new you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I want to find ways for that to feel organic.
0: I love that. What do you wish for others?
1: I wish space for others. Mm-hmm. That concept doesn't sound that revolutionary, but... It really, it hit home for me. I, I think I did not realize how little space I had to be, to just be, period. Mm-hmm. End of sentence. It's a hokey expression, but somebody referred to the idea of human being rather than human doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I remember that. Making space. You know, there's a beautiful song I love. Um, it's covered by Mercedes Sosa, an Argentinian singer. And it's called Canción de las Simples Cosas. It's a song about the simple things. It's a beautiful song because it's basically like, don't get up from the table, stay here in the table under the sun because this this is it. like this is love, this is life, this is like this is what beauty is. Those are the things. I think the expression she uses is that the simple things are the things that time devours.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah, I know it's a, it's Can you say it in so. Spanish. Las simples cosas las devora el tiempo, and it's it's, it's a very powerful beautiful song and, and it has stayed with me and, I, and you know and, it, and sometimes it's a luxury right mm-hmm. sometimes you need to run out the door mm-hmm. because there's a need which is all the more reasons like when you have that luxury appreciate it and hang out at the table for two minutes <laughs> or whichever it is you know like it's like you're on the subway like observe the people in the, in the train car you know and i think that that's what i wish for myself and for everybody it's like being able to make a little more space and to kind of relieve ourselves of the pressure to kind of embrace life in this way that that's often actually denying us of space. And I think there's extreme experiences like whether it's a retreat or a long walk that showed you that in a very amplified form. But I think it's it's something that that I wish for others in a much more microdose kind of way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very California view. Yes. <laughs> I love that. What a sustaining wish for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around for my love and learning reflection. Here's what I'm loving and learning from my conversation with Felipe. The power of storytelling, the power of healing together, and the power of a lazy day. (laughs) I'll say a little more about what I'm taking away for each of those three things, storytelling. Felipe is an excellent storyteller and great storytelling helps us empathize with one another. So Felipe's stories about El Camino de Santiago pilgrimage really transported me to Spain. I felt like I could see the beautiful horses at the top of the hill on the day of his hardest hike. I felt like I could smell the Spanish countryside and hear Alberto crying. Felipe's sensorial descriptions helped me walk a mile in his shoes, so to speak, and experience some of the highs and lows and some of the emotions that he did. So I'm feeling grateful to the storytellers and artists who help us feel and help us access emotions, ours and others' emotions, to really understand life more fully and to feel the full spectrum of the human experience, as Felipe put it. Healing Together Felipe talked about being moved by the Buddhist belief that healing from suffering is a collective act. And that reminds me of the bell hooks quote, quote, healing is an act of communion, end quote. By sharing our stories and journeys of repair after loss or any type of pain, we see that we're not alone. And where we previously felt fragmentation or disconnect, we have a chance to feel more wholeness and connection. So while I definitely think healing happens from the inside out, I don't think healing happens in isolation, meaning when healing happens internally within ourselves, and when each one of us is doing that reflection and growth, then we're better able to help heal the world externally. And that interplay also was present in the, quote, independent collective, end quote, that Felipe described on his pilgrimage and how he felt connected to others who were walking the long path of El Camino. And speaking of connection, I really connected with the idea of a lazy day. (laughs) Thank you, Felipe, for telling me that the Buddhist monks said it's not only okay to have a ritual of a lazy day, but that it can be a form of mindfulness and practicing presence. I needed to hear that. I love the playfulness of even calling it a lazy day. (laughs) I have to admit, my workaholism is the exact opposite of play, yet my freedom will include play. So my question for you is, what are you loving and what are you learning from this conversation? And I'll add, what's one healing conversation that you can have with yourself or with someone else? I hope you were inspired or moved by at least one thing that you heard today. And if you were, please share this episode with someone you love or someone whom you think might appreciate it. It would mean so much to us. Thank you so much for listening. Much love, everyone.